The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. All right, good morning, Bereans. I'm sure, unless you've been living under a rock, that you know that last Saturday... 10-7, Israel declared themselves to be at war. Yeah, 10-7, they're at war, okay? (laughs) Now, this has caused Christians to go crazy about Bible prophecy. Because anything happens over there at Israel, that's, that's Bible prophecy. And they go, you know what was fascinating to me is the number of sermons preached last Sunday. And I'm thinking, wait, it happened Saturday morning. This is not even 24 hours, and it's like, these preachers are you know, going away at it, and I'm thinking, I must be behind the scenes a little bit, you know, I'm coming in a week later, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I'm hearing things, and just pick one, you know, anyone on, just go on YouTube, you can find them all over, we're hearing things like, this is the beginning of the tribulation, the rapture is about to happen, the Lord's going to return at any moment, and before we look at what the Bible does say about Israel, let's talk for a minute about what they tell us is happening right now. So let me ask you this, did Hamas attack Israel on October 7th, slaughtering women and children, beheading babies, wounding hundreds of Israelis? Thank you. I don't know. I don't know. And neither do you. As I've said many times, they lie to us about everything. And I mean everything. They have lied to us about everything. They're still lying to us about everything. I mean, why would you believe, you know, what they're telling us? You know, I say, well, everybody's believing it, you know. Yeah, they are, but why? Here's the the real question. Why would you believe what the mainstream media is telling you? Who owns and runs the mainstream media? The what? Okay, well, it's, yeah, I think they're probably involved in it. I mean, we know they're all in the thing. But listen, it is owned by, they say they're Jews. They're not Jews. They're the Khazarian Mafia owns all media. In this country, wherever. They put out what they want to put out, and you hear what they want you to hear. Okay? So all I'm saying is we need to be a little discerning when we hear this thing. You know, initially they're putting out, oh, they're beheading babies, they're burning babies, and a reporter reported this, and then a couple days later she goes, I apologize for that, that's not true, but I heard that, so I just repeated it, okay? Well, this attack, supposed attack on Israel, I don't know, I wasn't there, is being blamed on Hamas. So let's talk for a minute about who Hamas is, where'd they come from, what is, what is Hamas? We don't... I don't think we people here understand all that much of what's going on over there. But the Palestinian armed group, Hamas, takes its name from an Arabic acronym that in English stands for Islamic Resistance Movement. Hamas was formally established in December of 1987 by Sheikh Ahmad Yassin after the outbreak of Palestinian uprising known as the First Infatada. Hamas declared that liberating Palestine from Israeli occupation was every Muslim's religious duty. 
Hamas entered politics in 2005 and won a landslide victory in parliamentary elections the very next year, being its rival, Fatah. Now, <clears throat> a year later, disagreements between them led to an armed conflict that would end with Hamas being in charge of Gaza, while Fatah moved to the West Bank and took over the West Bank, basically. Here's what I want you to understand about Hamas. Hamas was created by Israel. Okay? They created him. It's just like, you know, when Bin Laden, CIA created Bin Laden. Okay? Then we went to war with them. All right? Israel, former Israeli officials such as Brigadier General Yitzhak Segev, <clears throat> who was one of the Israeli military governor in Gaza in the early 1980s, Zagiv later told the New York Times reporter that he had helped finance the Palestinian Islamic movement as a counterweight. So they created Hamas as a counterweight to the secularists and leftists of the Palestine Liberation Organization and the Fatah Party. Later, Yasser Arafat, who himself referred to Hamas as a creature of Israel, so they created it, they helped build up its military, and then now they are at war with them, trying to bomb them, besiege them, and blockade them out of existence, okay? They created something they can't handle as a problem, all right? But they created them. What I find interesting about this whole thing is that many people are likening this attack in Israel to 9-11, okay? And... I think that's really incredible when you think about it, okay? When you think of 9-11, what do you think of? Government. Government. The thing that comes to my mind is false flag, okay? Now, saying something's a false flag doesn't mean it didn't happen, okay? Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines a false flag this way. A hostile or harmful action, such as an attack, that is designed to look like it was perpetrated by someone other than the person or group responsible for it. Yeah, so we have, we have 9-11, and that was supposedly the Arabs coming over here and blowing. That's ridiculous, okay? That was all George Bush. That was a, you know, I, I sat there and watched it happen, and when I watched it on TV, I thought, that, that building, that was controlled demolition. I mean, it just fell right into its footprint. I'm like, I've seen that before. That didn't happen by a plane hitting the 100th floor. But we don't think anymore. We just hear what the media tells us and we buy it. All right? Just think about what they're trying to tell us what happened, okay? A bunch of uh, Palestinians, Hamas, basically, with gliders, with lawnmower engines on them, okay? They flew into Israel and they stormed the gates, they broke through the gate, they re basically got no resistance from Israel. They're shooting homemade rockets over there. Now here's what we have to understand. Israel has one of the most technically advanced armies in the world. They're the world's leader in surveillance and security. So think about this. Okay, how'd they do this, alright? They have the most secure border in the world. Israel's Mossad, which is their version of the CIA, 
has a reputation of being the best in the world for identifying and stopping threats. They have the Iron Dome. You know what the Iron Dome is? It's a missile defense system, all right, that is very, very effective. The Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, said the system boasted 95.6% success rate during rocket attacks. It totally failed this day. Yeah. Israel says they were completely surprised by this attack. And if you know anything about Israel, you're like, no, come on now. If a cat walks by that wall, they know it. I mean, this is... <laughs> it's just... It, they push this on us because I guess they just figure, hey, they'll believe anything. So they just give us this junk. So you have to ask yourself, okay, 9-11, if Israel knew about this, and I'm sure they did, and, and Egypt is saying they knew, other branches are saying they knew, they knew this was coming, and they're saying, oh no, we, we had no idea. They can't believe that. Why would they allow this to happen and kill so many of their citizens? Well, you have to ask the same questions about 9-11. Why did it happen? Anybody know? Why did 9-11 happen? We wanted to go to war, all right? The powers that be, the deep state, they wanted to go to war. The people were not for war, okay? What happened after 9-11? Everybody, let's kill them, go over, get those ragheads, you know? And everybody's just wanting to go over and jump in there and get in a 20-year war. That's what happened because of 9-11. Well, that's exactly why this happened in Israel. Israel wants to go to war. They want to wipe out Gaza, okay? And Gaza is basically the only land the Palestinians have left. But they don't like them there, so they want to wipe it out. And this is now people are behind them. You know, you see all the churches and they're flying all the flags. You know, we're for Israel. We stand for Israel. Go get those Palestinians. A lot of those Palestinians are believers. They're Christians. Okay? And we'll talk a little more about Gaza in a minute. But please understand this. This is a key factor that we have to get. There's a difference between Palestinians and Hamas. Palestinians do not equal Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization that works within Palestine, okay? But they're not the same. People of the Palestinians don't even like Hamas, okay? They're ruling, they're the ruling party now in Gaza, but they don't like it. Because like I said, many of the Palestinians are Christians. But it just amazes me that, you know, Christians are now yelling and screaming. They want to go over there and wipe this place out. Gaza is four miles wide, 25 miles long, and is considered by many as the largest open-air prison in the world. And I say prison because it's all walled in. Those people cannot leave it. They cannot come in. And everyone's asking, where did they get the weaponry? to even do an attack. Israel knows everything that comes in and goes out of that place. Israel controls that place, their water, their electricity, everything. And right now they want to shut all that off and basically just starve these people to death. The average age in Palestine, in Gaza, is 17 years old. A lot, a lot of kids over there, okay? So Israel has announced a siege. They're blocking all food, all water, and all fuel from Gaza. Actually, the Gaza Strip has been locked down since 2007. The Palestinians, they don't like Hamas. They want peace, but the Israelites 
constantly torment them. They constantly make raids on Gaza, breaking in their houses, destroying things, taking things. But, you know, many politicians, they want us in war because war makes a lot of money. And so they're pushing us, you know, and now Iran's, you know, rattling sabers and, you know, you mess with Palestine, you mess with Gaza and we're going to, you know, so, yeah, they, and that encourages them. They want World War III. A lot of people make money. And what's just really frustrating to me is Christians are going nuts with their support of Israel. You know, they're just going, oh, they got the flags flying. They got all this stuff going on. Okay, go full screen for me, please. Um, this is Pastor Greg Locke of Global Vision Bible Church in Tennessee. You think maybe they support Israel? See, they got the big flag in the background, and people on the stage got the flags, and, and then that's Greg Locke with his little prayer shawl on there, you know, just letting you know how much he supports Israel because, boy, that's, he wants everyone to know that. Listen to what he has to say, okay? What they ought to do is evacuate up there on the hill and get a great big missile and blow that wicked dome of the rock plumb off of the spot where it's standing right now so we can get that third temple rebuilt and usher in the coming of Jesus. Do you even, I mean, let's blow up the dome of the rock so we can go start building a temple. If they blew up the dome of the rock, how long do you think it'd take them to start a temple? A long time because there'd be a holy war. You talk about a war over there? It's going to take a while. But see, he wants to bring in the coming of Christ. He's going to do it. One of the videos I looked at this week was Pastor Mike Hammer, because he, he was one who was on it last week, and so he had his message ready. And last Sunday he preached, and he said this, We are seeing prophecy unfold before our very eyes with what took place this weekend with this war in Israel. All right, let me say this, okay? <laughs> This war in Israel has absolutely nothing to do with biblical prophecy. It's got nothing at all to do with the Bible. Okay? He goes on to say, when Israel is attacked, by, is attacked, any serious Bible, any student of the Bible, and any serious follower of Christ wants to know what in the world's going on and what does the Bible say about some of these events that are happening? The Bible doesn't say anything about it. I consider myself a serious student of the Bible, and I'm not asking those questions, because I know. The Bible teaches, this is so important, people, the Bible teaches that all biblical prophecy, all of it, came to a completion, was finished in A.D. 70. That doesn't mean it all stopped. There's ongoing significance from this fulfillment of many of it. The church is still going on, but it all was fulfilled all pointing to this, it all was fulfilled in AD 70 with the destruction and removal of the temple in Jerusalem. All done. Look at Luke 21, 20 and 22. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, now not you, not when you see it. That's how dispensationalists read the Bible. Oh, look at when we see, it doesn't say you. This was spoken by the Lord, you know, back in the first century. He was speaking to people. And that's who the you is. When you see it, he says, 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. If you're in Judea, he said, and you see this, get out of there. We're, what mountains are we supposed to flee to today? He's not talking to us. And let those who are inside the city depart. So we got to get over there so we can get in the city and depart, right? And let none of those who are in the country enter it. And then he says, these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. And that's what it means. All that is written. All prophecy was fulfilled in this destruction. Every bit of it. Now Mike Hammer went on to say, something prophetically and biblically important has happened this very weekend. And they're getting all excited about this, okay? No, it did not. But he says this, and I love this. you got to tell me what you think here. He says, they, speaking of Hamas, they have 0% chance of destroying Israel because God is the protector of Israel. Um, so nobody can destroy Israel. This guy doesn't know much about history, does he? Huh? Look what the Lord said in Matthew 24, 2. Truly I say to you, there will not be left here, speaking of the Jerusalem, the city, one stone left upon another and they'll be thrown down. So the Lord predicted this was going to happen. A.D. 70, it happened. The temple was destroyed. That was it. It was wiped out. And people, here's what we have to understand. Biblical Judaism has not existed since A.D. 70. Okay, no, they just after the temple, they got restarted again. No, they didn't. They changed everything. Okay, they say, we're Jews. They're not Jews. All right, they're Kazarian. But they want to go on with the... No, no more sacrifice. Nobody has sacrificed an animal in Judaism since A.D. 70. If you don't have sacrifice, you don't have Judaism. There's no priesthood because there's no record of the priest. So without priests, you don't have Judaism. So there is no Judaism. There's no Jews today. They might say they're Jews. It's more like a club or a religion. It's got nothing to do with ethnicity. And, and I would ask Mike here, I said, why didn't God protect Israel back in 8070? If God's not, there's no chance of anybody destroying them. Where was he then? See, and most of the church believes this kind of nonsense. All this prophecy hype is caused by faulty theology, particularly eschatology. And one of the biggest problems that American church faces is the theology of Christian Zionism, which is the predominant view in churchianity today. That's what most Christians believe, and that's why we got to stand by Israel. Oh, they're, they're special, and whatever they do, they're right, and we just got to stand by them. Zionism is a political movement built on the belief that the Jewish people, here's a problem, there's no Jewish people, ethnicity, there's no ethnic Jews today, the Jewish people deserve by right to possess the land of Palestine as their own. That's Zionism. These people deserve this land. Well, these people are not Jewish, and they don't deserve that land, because guess what? There's other people living in that land called Palestinians. Okay, they're just, they're living there. That's their home, all right? Let me give you a little history about how Zionism came about. Through Darby's influence, premillennial dispensationalism became a dominant 
method of biblical interpretation. The most influential instrument of dispensational thinking was what? Anybody got an idea? Schofield Reference Bible. Okay? An early Darby disciple was William E. Blackstone. And he brought dispensationalism to millions of Americans through his best-selling book, Jesus is Coming, printed in 1882. The book took a premillennial dispensational view of the second coming, emphasizing that the Jews had a biblical right to Palestine and soon, and soon would be restored there. So this is how it all got started. Well, Blackstone became one of the first Christian Zionists in America to actively lobby for the Zionist cause. In England, the social reformer Lord Shaftesbury, who was also a disciple of Darby, turned Zionism into a political agenda. So it started kind of religiously, and then it got into politics. And Shaftesbury is credited with coining an early version of the slogan adopted by Jewish Zionist father, Max Nordau and Theodore Hetzel. And this is their slogan. A land of no people for a people with no land. It's really a bad slogan because the land had people called Palestinians that were living there for thousands of years. But they said, oh, they're not a people. And these people, these Jews, they don't have a land, so we got to get them a land. Okay? This led to the Balfour Declaration. And the Balfour Declaration was an official statement issued on behalf of the British government in 1917 announcing its support in principle of a proposed home for Jewish people in Palestine. It was drafted by British Foreign Minister Arthur J. Balfour in concert with prominent Jewish leaders and the British cabinet and was issued by Balfour in the following communication to the second Baron Rothschild on November 2nd. So Rothschild is the deep state player behind Israel even coming into existence, okay? They got a purpose in all this, but you know the Rothschilds in there, it is not good. Here's what the Balfour Declaration said. I have much pleasure in conveying to you on behalf of His Majesty's government the following declaration of sympathy with Jewish Zionist aspirations, which has been submitted to and approved by the cabinet. His Majesty's government views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine. So they recognize, oh, there is people there. We won't, we won't mess with them. We won't bother them. This declaration, which Zionists interpreted as a promise for a Jewish state in Palestine, was formally approved by representatives of the Allied governments at Versailles in 1919 and was the basis of the League of Nations mandate for Palestine. But notice the Balfour statement, nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine. That was totally ignored. Totally ignored. During the late 1940s, Zionist guerrillas succeeded in overthrowing Palestine and driving the people out of there, the ones they didn't murder. 
This is so-called Israel. They went in there, they slaughtered people. Now, the result was disenfranchisement of over a million people who historically lived there. This was their home. Go full screen for me, please. Hope you can see this chart. 1947, look at Palestine. And notice it's called Palestine. It's not called Israel. Why is it called Palestine? Because that's what it was called. If you look on any map before 1947, that plot of land is called Palestine. And you see the little white specks there? That's where Israel had encampments, or that's where some of the Israelites still lived. Okay? Then you go over to the next one, and you say, okay, after this partition at the Balfour Declaration, they gave Israel this land. Now, Palestine, it's shrunk down. You know, they got half the land now. Then you go over to 49 to 67, and you see, oh, look, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of land left, okay? <clears throat> not much left there. They got Gaza, they got some of the West Bank. But then you look at the present day, and they don't have much of the West Bank at all anymore. They got the Gaza Strip. And that's what's going on. Well, this is Gaza right here, the Gaza Strip, ruled by Hamas. Like I said, it's four miles wide, 25 miles long, and it's considered the largest open-air prison in the world because their people can't come and go from there. There's gates on both sides. Israel, heavily armed, gates. People just don't walk in and out of there. Now, some of the Palestinians are allowed to go into Israel and work, you know, and then they have to go back into Palestine. But it, the, the relationship between Israel and Palestine has just always been bad, okay? And can you, I don't know why the Palestinians would be upset because the Israelites came in and killed them and drove them out of their land. I don't know why that would bother them, you know, but some reason it does bother them. They're not really big fans of Israel, okay? And vice versa. See, Israel wants all the land, and they got to get these Palestinians out. Now, why don't they just go in there and drive them out? Because other countries won't let them do that, okay? Iran and other countries saying, you mess with Palestine, we're coming in there. We're going to have a serious battle going on there. So that's what keeps them, but they don't want them there. They want to get rid of them, all right? Now, you go back to the regular screen. Elias Sikor in his book, Blood Brothers... If you've not read this, you need to read it to understand what's happening over there. And he's not anti-Israeli. He calls them, he said, they're our blood brothers, okay? But he talks about what it was like for the Palestinians as the Zionist guerrillas took over their land. He said, they came into our house, they told us, you need to get out of the house, grab your stuff and go. They, him and his family with his ancient grandmother, they're out in the, sleeping in the woods because they're driven out of their house. They took over the place. He said he was out playing soccer one day. They're playing in the field, and he noticed something sticking out of the ground. He thought it was a stick, went over to grab it, and it was a hand, an arm. The whole village had been buried there. They killed the whole village. The Israeli guerrillas killed the whole village and buried the Palestinians there. So this is going on. These people, you know, who are supposedly didn't occupy the land are being driven out of it. And Christian Zionism, as a modern theological and political movement, embraces the most extreme ideological position of Zionism. They believe that God will restore Israel's ancient fortunes as a nation in the Promised Land. So they got to get back to that land. That's their land. It belongs to them. They think. Well, God told them, it's not your land, and He drove them out of there. He wiped them out and sent them all into exile. So God has different ideas than most Christians today do about this whole area. Now, accompany this claim is the conviction that Yeshua the Messiah will rule from Jerusalem and the Jewish people will believe in Him. They see the modern state of Israel as the equivalent of biblical Israel. 
and the forerunner of the return of Christ. Christian Zionism has become deeply detrimental to a just peace between Palestine and Israel. Because the Zionists believe you don't belong in this land. We've got to get back to this land. We're going to take this all over. Everything's going to be great. Grace Hassel, who was an American journalist and writer, learned by experience that what her church had taught her about Israel was a myth. She summarized the message of the Christian Zionists this way. She says, every act taken by Israel is orchestrated by God. This is what they teach. If Israel does it, God doing it. And should be condoned, supported, and even praised by the rest of us. Never mind what Israel does, says the Christian Zionist. God wants us to support them. So it's okay for them to block off Gaza, cut off the water, cut off the food, cut off the fuel, and let these young children just die over there because they don't like Hamas. At least one in four Americans, American Christians, surveyed recently by Christianity Today magazine, said they believed it is their biblical responsibility to support the nation Israel. They got this confused with somehow they're biblical. There's nothing biblical about any of those people over there. Those aren't God's people. That's not God's land. That land is not holy. Okay? It was holy, the land at one time, because it was set apart for God. He's done with that land. It's not holy anymore. It's just dirt. Okay? The Pew Research Center put the figure at 63% among white evangelicals that support Israel. Christian Zionism is pervasive with mainline American evangelical charismatics and independent denominations. And followers of Christian Zionism are convinced that the founding of the state of Israel in 1948 and the capture of Jerusalem in 1967 were the miraculous fulfillment of God's promises made to Abraham. And he's going to establish Israel as a Jewish nation forever in Palestine. Okay, they're still, they missed the Messiah, they rejected the Messiah, but now they're still looking for something else to come along. Christian Zionism's leading proponent today would have to be John Hagee, okay, who's one of the dumbest preachers I've ever seen, okay? And I say that because here's, what, here's Hagee's, one of Hagee's beliefs. Well, let, me, let me say this. He's a senior pastor of Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, Texas. It's a non-denominational, charismatic megachurch with more than 20,000 members. His weekly programs are broadcast on 160 TV stations, 50, 50 radio stations, and eight networks into an estimated 99 million homes in 200 countries. I say that to say he's got a vast outreach. Here's how dumb this man is, okay? I don't know if he's even read the Bible. Okay, he pulls different parts out, but he doesn't get a lot because he says the gospel is not for Jews. They have their own covenant with God. They don't need the gospel. And if you know anything about the Bible, you've got to scratch your head and say, who did Yeshua preach to? Uh, he was in Jerusalem, right? Wasn't he in that area preaching? Who was he preaching to? The Jews. After the church started, for 10 years, they didn't go anywhere. They stayed in Jerusalem and preached. So for 10 years, the gospel is going out, and they don't need to do it because they don't even need the gospel. How, I mean, really, people, how dumb 
are you to think there's the gospel, but they don't need it? There's another, see, they have some other relationship with God that they don't even need the gospel. Well, that's kind of crazy that Yeshua went and preached to those people. All the apostles went and preached to those people who didn't even need it. Wasted 10 years. That's, you know, I just, it's hard for me to understand how, well, I guess it's not really. Here's the problem, Christians. If you just read your Bible, you hear this nonsense, you'd say, that doesn't sound right to me. But most Christians don't. And so they just sit there. He's got a big church, a lot of influence, so they just buy into it. Whatever he says is right. Christian Zionism shows an uncritical tolerance of rabbinic Judaism, an endorsement of the Israeli political right, while at the same time demonstrates an inexcusable lack of compassion for the Palestinian tragedy and the plight of the indigenous Christian community in Israel and Palestine. All these Christians are like, we're all for Israel. And if anybody's for Palestine, oh, you're a terrorist supporter. No, I'm not for Hamas. There's people in Palestine. Young people, a lot of people. There's Christian people there. Within the Christian Zionist worldview, Palestinians are regarded as alien residents in Israel. (laughs) Because they came in and took the land over. And now they just don't get along, okay? (laughs) Now let me ask you a question. Why are all these Christian leaders so supportive of national Israel? Where do they get the idea that Christians are to stand and support Israel? The nation Israel, that has nothing to do with the Bible, but they think it does. And the problem is, again, they don't know their Bibles that well, okay? Because the whole Tanakh is filled with promises that Yahweh made to Israel. So they read those and they understand, okay, God promised the nation this. And, And this nation was uniquely chosen by Yahweh to be blessed and to be a source of blessing to the whole world. So, yeah, we just got to stand with them. And that is true, that part so far. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. You are a people holy to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Talking to Israel. They're a possession of Yahweh, a treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that Yahweh set His love on you and chose you, for you were fewest of all people, but it was because Yahweh loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that Yahweh has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It was to Israel that Yahweh revealed Himself. It was Israel that received the Messianic promises. And to mess with Israel was to mess with Yahweh. And that gets repeated over and over today. You know, people who don't know much about the Old Testament, they know Zechariah 2.8. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, After His glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, and he who touches you touches the apple of God's eye. See, this is their thing. If you mess with Israel, you're sticking your finger in God's eye. Israel's gone. The nation Israel's done. They're gone. They don't exist. Those Kazarians over there are not God's people. But the Israelites were Yahweh's chosen people. Look at Amos 3, 1 and 2. Hear the word that Yahweh has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. 
Now, known here is not the idea, oh, yeah, I know that person. No, it's an intimate relationship. It's a love. It's like, you know, known, okay? An intimate love relationship. Yahweh knows every single individual, but he knew Israel in a special way. They had a very privileged position. And with privilege comes responsibility. Look at the last part of the verse, which Zionists seem to miss. Therefore, I will punish you <clears throat> for all your iniquities. Well, God said, you're privileged. And because of the privilege, I'll punish you because of your sin. See, Israel became proud. They missed the true end of all they had, which was the coming of Yeshua for their sins. Now, there are two biblical truths, I think, that Christian Zionists don't seem to realize. Number one, because of Israel's disobedience, Yahweh is finished with the nation Israel. Zionists don't get that at all. They don't know about 87. He's like, skip the radar. They just, they're, they're God's people. They'll always be God's people. Doesn't matter what they do. They're good. Second thing, they don't understand who Israel is. All right? Paul refers to this loss of privilege in the first couple of verses in Romans 9 that Jeremy read where he expresses his sorrow for his countrymen and his readiness to suffer for them. Look what Paul says. I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. His brothers, his kinsmen, it's national Israel. And Paul is implying here that Israel is no longer the people of God. Paul's saying that Israel is no longer blessed. They are, in fact, cursed because he said, I wish I could take the curse for you. He wished to take it for them because now they are cursed. And so the question arises, if Yahweh's chosen people are now cursed, has Yahweh gone back on his promises? Has he rejected his chosen people? Was Israel really cursed or was Paul just bitter because he got beaten by Israeli so many times? He's tired. Ah, you're sick of you people. Well, look at what Yeshua had to say about the nation Israel. Matthew 21, 18. These, these parables to me are so clear. I don't know how, how do people miss this stuff. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. He's talking about Yeshua. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again, and the fig tree withered at once. Was the Lord just having a temper tantrum because he was hungry? He's hangry? Huh? Ah, curse this tree, I'm hangry. You know, no, that's not what this is about, okay? Not at all. The fig tree is used as a figure for the nation Israel. Throughout Israel's history, Yahweh constantly hungered. For his people to bring forth fruit. The gospel writer spoke of the physical hunger of Yeshua as a symbolic way of Yahweh's hunger for fruit from his people. And Yeshua pronounces a curse on Israel because of their failure to bear fruit and their ultimate rejection of him. Many of Yeshua's parables referred to Israel's rejection and thus their destruction. 21.33 says, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it and he dug a wine press and built a tower and leased it out to tenants and went into another country. Now, who's the vineyard? What's he talking about? Who's, who's the Lord's vineyard? How do you know that? Give me a scripture. How about Isaiah 5? Now, listen. All right. 
I cut out some verses here for time's sake, but you got to read five starting at one. But I want, what I want you to pick up here is notice what he's saying to this vineyard that is his. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I'm going to remove its hedge. That's not a good thing. It will be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. Boy, that sounds just like what happened in 8070s at Jerusalem. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. Briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. For the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel. So we don't have a lot of questions here about who, okay. The, God's vineyard is Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. And for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Now, this is God's vineyard, Israel. It's Yahweh's vineyard. Now, keep that in mind as we go back. But he wants righteousness. He wants justice. He's not finding it in his vineyard. 21-34, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to go get the fruit. Okay, time for the harvest. Go get it. Go get the fruit. What is the fruit? Well, we just saw it in Isaiah 5-7, justice righteousness. That's what God's looking for. Justice and righteousness. Okay. Back to our text, Matthew 25, 35. And the tenants took his servants and they beat one and they killed another. They stoned another and he sent other servants more than the first. And they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son. Okay. You get what's going on here, right? I mean, it's not complicated. He sent them the prophets. They just stoned the prophets. They killed the prophets. I sent my son. He sent Yeshua to them saying, they'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Vineyard's Israel, he got kicked out, he got killed. He's prophesying what the Jews will do to him. Matthew 21, 40, 43 says, When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give fruits in their seasons. Yeshua said to them, have you never read the scripture? So he's going to put those wretches to a miserable death. Again, he did that in AD 70. The stone that the builders rejected, Christ, has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, Israel, and given to a people producing its fruit. The Lord's telling them all this stuff. Very clearly that because of the rejection of Him, the kingdom of God will be taken from them. We also see a very similar parable in Matthew 22, 1-10. And these parables are teaching that Israel lost its privileged position. In light of this, the question is, has Yahweh's plan changed? Is Israel's rejection as a nation a going back on His word? Because He promised them so many things. So has He broken His promise? Well, there's two possible conclusions to be drawn here, I think. Either the gospel that Paul is preaching is false, or else, if it's true, the promises of Yahweh to Israel have failed. The Messiah and blessing to Israel were inseparably connected. 
You get the Messiah, you get the blessing. And the Jews would say, either Yeshua is not the true Messiah because he cursed and rejected Yahweh's people, or the word of God has proven false. So Yahweh's justice and righteous are being called into question. And this is, I think, relevant to us today because if Yahweh broke his promises to Israel, what assurance do we have that he'll keep his promises to us? If Yahweh can't be trusted, how do we trust him? Again, there's two biblical truths that Zionists don't seem to realize. Because of Israel's disobedience, Yahweh's finished. We talked about that. The Lord told it. All the prophets foretold it. They're done. Second thing that we, they don't get is they don't understand who Israel is. Okay, that's one of the big problems. And in Romans 9, 6, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is a theodicy. Do you understand what a theodicy is? A theodicy is the defense of God. Okay, God is being accused... And so this theodicy in 9, 10, and 11 is the defense of God. God keeps His promise. And so Paul in Romans 9, 6 shows his readers, which would be the first century Roman believers and us today, that Israel's rejection is not inconsistent with the promises of Yahweh. To say that the nation is accursed is not to say that Yahweh's promises have failed. Here's the thing. He says, it is not as though the word of God has failed. They're being accused of that. And how do we know it hasn't failed? For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. It is not means, but not such as, or but not in a similar way. In other words, the word of God has not stumbled in a similar way as Israel when she rejected Messiah. The complete Jewish Bible puts it this way, which is pretty good. But the present condition of Israel does not mean that the word of God has failed. For not everyone from Israel... It's truly part of Israel. Okay? So that's, that's pretty clear. Now the word of God here means anything which God has spoken. Here from this connection, it should be understood in, more, in a more specific sense. It's the word of promise and the covenants that are alluded to in verse 4 here. It refers to the great promises Yahweh made to Abraham, then to Isaac, and to Jacob, conferring blessing upon their seed. And the phrase here, has failed, is the Greek word ekpipto, it means to fall out of, to fall down from, to fail, to be without effect. Paul uses this word several times in Acts 27 in regard to his voyage. It's used of a sailing vessel getting off course that it was intended to have. And it's used of flowers fading. So we could put it this way. It's not as if the promises of Yahweh have gone off course. All right, so if Yahweh's promises have not gone off course, then how can Israel be accursed when Yahweh made so many promises to them. Well, Paul's going to teach us that Yahweh's promises have not failed. Hang on to this. You're going to find this one hard to believe. The promises of Yahweh haven't failed. They've been misunderstood. Can you imagine anybody misunderstanding the promises of God? <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, he says, Behold, I come quickly. Well, we're, it's still quickly, 2,000 years. I mean, let's give them some time here. Don't rush them, right? So many of the promises of God have been misunderstood. And in the last half of the verse, Paul explains how they were misunderstood. I can't emphasize how important this verse is in understanding this. He says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. 
This verse is key to understanding Israel and the promises of Yahweh. The first question we must answer is, who or what is Israel? Let's look at a little etymology first before we get into this verse, okay? Israel is a compound word from Sarah, meaning fight, struggle, rule, and El, meaning mighty one or God. So some have taken the name Israel to mean he who struggles with God. But in Hebrew names, sometimes God is not the object of the verb, but the subject, like Daniel. Daniel means God judges, not he judges God. So Israel means God rules, or he who rules with God. So that's what the name Israel itself means. The first use of this term in Scripture is found in Genesis 32, 28. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now notice that the name Israel here is first given not to the nation, but to Jacob. Jacob is a type of Christ, being for a time the head of the covenant. As an individual with the name Israel, he typifies the Redeemer who is going to be the true Israel. So Jacob is called Israel. Jacob marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel, with these two women and their maids, their handmaids, 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May Yahweh make the women who is coming unto your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. So Jacob's sons are called the house of Israel. That's a term that refers to the 12 tribes, the nation Israel. So Israel, Jacob's sons, were delivered from Egyptian bondage. They became a nation at Sinai. When Yahweh gave them His law, He entered into a covenant with them. Now they're called the house of Israel. Exodus 40.38 says, For the cloud of Yahweh was upon the tabernacle by day, and the fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Okay, so this is, this is the house of Israel. This is the people of God. Now, Later, the nation split. The ten northern tribes are called the house of Israel. The southern tribes are called Benjamin or Judah. We're not dealing with that today, okay? So Israel is a term that was first given to Jacob. Then his sons are called sons of Israel. Later, the house of Israel. So the term Israel came to be used of the nation that God called out of Egypt. They're Israelites. They're Israel. That's what he called them. And this is no doubt what most Christians think of when they hear the term Israel. The people of God, God called out of Egypt, that's Israel. That's usually what they think of. National, physical Israel. But Paul tells us in Romans 6 that there's two Israels. Okay? Not everyone who comes from Israel, descended from Israel, that would be genealogically descent. You're an ethnic child of Israel. You come from Jacob. You're Israel. Not all those belong to Israel. We know that one of these Israels is national, physical Israel. That's all people know about. That's all they think about, okay? And there's no disagreement that one of them is national, physical Israel, but who's the other Israel? This is where the disagreement comes in. Well, they're not all Israel that are... Who's Israel? Who's the true Israel? So we have physical Israel, those descendants from Jacob, and then we have true Israel. So you have physical Israel and true Israel, And Paul is saying that Yahweh's promises haven't failed because the promises were not unconditionally to each offspring of Abraham. They weren't to national Israel. The promises were to true Israel. 
the children of God. Yahweh never intended for all the nation of Israel to be redeemed. Within national Israel was true Israel or spiritual Israel. So one could be an Israelite without being an Israelite. The promises were to true Israel, not national Israel. You've got to make that distinction. So who is true Israel? Is it the church? Yes. But what's the church? It's the body of Christ. Right? It's the body of Christ. And what I want us to understand is that Yeshua is true Israel. Okay? He is true Israel. It is in Him and Him alone that the promises of Yahweh are fulfilled. They're fulfilled in Christ. So when people say, say oh, well, we got to keep the Sabbath. I do. Yeshua is the Sabbath. He's the Sabbath rest. But that land is ours. We've got to go to that land. Yeshua is the land. He is the holy land, okay? It's all about Him. It was always all about Him. All their feasts, all their sacrifices, it all pointed to Him. And they missed it. It's not a bunch, a bunch of people over there, okay? The promises were never to all physical descendants of Jacob. Now let me attempt to prove this to you, that Yeshua is the true Israel. Let's look at a text that clearly refers to physical national Israel. Hosea 11.1 When Israel was a child, that's the nation Israel he's talking about, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, when you study this text in the context of the entire book, you find out that Hosea is referring to the exodus out of Egypt of Jacob's sons. That's what he's talking about. Nobody wants to argue that, okay? The problem is when you get to Matthew 2.15, Matthew tells us that Hosea's prophecy was fulfilled in Yeshua. And you're like, what? How's that talking about Yeshua? Let me tell you, when the New Testament interprets an Old Testament passage... They do it correctly, okay? So when you see the New Testament, you say, okay, I get it what it's about. Listen to what it said, Matthew 2.14. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. They're going to Egypt to save the child and remain there until the death of Herod. Now watch. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He's fulfilling what Hosea said. Out of Egypt I've called my son. But he's telling us this isn't about the nation coming out of the land of Egypt. It's about my son. Matthew takes a passage from Hosea, which clearly refers to national Israel, and he tells his readers this passage is now fulfilled in Yeshua. He does this to prove to his largely Jewish audience that Yeshua is the servant of Yahweh foretold throughout the Tanakh, especially in Isaiah. Yeshua is the true Israel. He is the true seed of Abraham. And this is the point that Paul makes in Galatians. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. You've got to get this verse. This verse is so significant. God made promises to Abraham and his offspring, right? So does that mean every physical descendant out of his? Well, no, he says, it does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and your offspring who is Christ. So the Abrahamic covenants and promises were to Abraham 
and Christ. That's it. You got to get that. Those promises weren't for all his physical descendants. They're Abraham and Christ. Paul says, I'm not referring to many. Christians are Abraham's offspring. And we're heirs of the promise. Only because by faith we're united to him who alone is the true Israel, true Abraham's seed, Yeshua. So in Yeshua, we are partakers of the promise. Because the promises were made to him and his offspring. Look at Galatians 3.14. So that in Christ Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, we inherit all the promises God made to Abraham through Christ. Everything we are, everything we have is by virtue of our union with Christ, which only comes by faith. Listen carefully. The Abrahamic covenant was a promise made to Abraham and Yeshua, the seed of Abraham. That he would be great, he would be the father of many nations, and that in him all nations will be blessed. They're not blessed through Abraham, they're blessed through his seed, which is Christ. During the Exodus, Israel's called Yahweh's son. Exodus 4.22 Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, Israel is my firstborn. He's talking about national Israel here. Okay? National Israel. But Paul calls Yeshua God's son. And he was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Yeshua Christ our Lord. So, is Israel God's son or is Yeshua God's son? Yes, he's talking about Yeshua. He is the true Israel. Paul also calls Yeshua God's firstborn in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By calling Yeshua the Son, Paul assigns to Yeshua the designation for Israel as God's Son, making Yeshua the true Israel. And since Yeshua is God's true Son, then membership in the people of Yahweh depends on being rightly related to Him and only rightly related to Him. Apart from a relationship with Yeshua, you cannot be a true Israelite. The psalmist calls Israel Yahweh's vine. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. National Israel, that's what he's talking about, right? What does Yeshua say? Anything about being a vine? John 15, I am the true vine. My father is, he's saying over and over, I'm the fulfillment of Israel. The promises come through me. Israel is the vine. We already saw that in Isaiah 5. Yeshua calls himself the true vine. True Israel. Only in him are the promises of Yahweh fulfilled. And people get bent out. Well, that, that's spiritually fulfilled. I want physical. Oh, yeah, you want physical stuff over spiritual? Go ahead, have it. You want a piece of dirt land over there to have? Uh, I'll take Yeshua, okay? <laughs> Second Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's Yeshua. All the promises of God, they're fulfilled in Him. That's how we receive all these promises that He made to Israel. They're ours now. They're ours. They're passed down through the fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... Christ the true Israel, he obeyed 
where Old Covenant Israel failed to obey. He obeyed. We see this in the temptation in the wilderness. Where national Israel failed, Christ obeyed. Every way that Israel proved to be an unrighteous son, Yeshua proved that he was the righteous son. And what Paul preached does not speak against the promises of Yahweh. Because Israel is Yahweh's people by faith, and all who believe in Christ receive the promises that Yahweh made to Israel. Those are our promises. This has been titled Fulfillment Theology. Okay, a lot of people call it replacement theology. We replace. No, it's fulfillment. We fulfilled the promises. They're in us. They were never made to the nation Israel. So it's not, we're not replacing them. Okay? They never only the true Israel. Those promises were only to true Israel. It's the church. Those of us who have trusted Christ, we are the Israel of God. So people are shouting, I stand with Israel. Amen. They're standing with the church. Okay? Because we're the Israel of God. Only believers are true Jews. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at Galatians 6, 15 and 16. For neither circumcision counts anything. Whoa. That would offend a Jew greatly. Okay? You've got to be circumcised or you're kicked out. Okay? Nor uncircumcision. Hey, that doesn't matter because we're in a new thing now. Okay, what matters is a new creation made by God. And as for those who walk by this rule, peace on mercy on them and upon the Israel of God. People to understand that Yahweh keeps his covenant promises, you must understand that not all Israel is real, true Israel. If Yeshua is the true Israel of Yahweh, and if the New Testament writers apply to Yeshua those prophecies in the Tanakh referring to Israel, as Yahweh's son and servant, then what does this understanding do to dispensationalists and Zionists who believe the nation of Israel is Yahweh's chosen people, the sole inheritors of Yahweh's promises, and that you can't be part of Israel unless you're of lineage and nationality? First of all, there's no lineage today. Nobody can prove where they're from. I saw something last week. Oh, they, they bred the first red heifer. Anybody see that? And people are getting all excited. You just got to scratch your head and think, really? Really, people? They got a red heifer, so now we can put everything back together. Okay, first get the genealogical record, because you can't be a priest without a genealogical record, okay? The red heifer's not going to do any good if you don't have a priest, okay? The red heifer was just for a cleansing ceremony to you know, cleanse you of defilement if you touch a dead body or whatever. You don't need any of that because there's no temple, there's no sacrifice, there's no priesthood. But we got a red heifer, so it's a good start, okay? We're going in the right direction. And people are going crazy over this stuff. I saw another article where this archaeologist over there, and he found a crack in a foundation. You know, because the Lord, God's going to split the land when he comes back. So he saw this, and he's measuring this crack, and he's, oh, this crack's getting, this is the fulfillment. Uh, it, it, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. People, the nation of Israel, the people of God known as Israel, has not existed for 2,000 years. Alright? National Israel was destroyed in AD 70. Shut down by God. He, he prophesied it. The Lord prophesied it. It happened just like He said it would in the time span that He said it would. And yet everybody's still waiting for it. There is no Jewish race today. We've gone over this before. All the encyclopedias say the Jewish race 
There is no Jewish race. Those people are buying into a religious organization or it's not ethnic, okay? Yahweh put an end to Judaism. The last days, the Bible talks about, were the last days of Israel. And they ended. They ended when national Israel ended. Now, many people today still consider the Jewish people as a race. But after the destruction of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel after the flesh was scattered throughout the earth and they lost all tribal relations. This scattering was made immutable due to the fact that all the tribal genealogical records are destroyed. When the temple was destroyed, there's no Jewish race. But they keep telling you, these are Jews and they deserve this land. Peer-reviewed, this came out recently, peer-reviewed genetic research from John Hopkins University shows that 97.5% of Judaic Israelis actually have no ancient Hebrew blood. None. 97.5%. And no ancestral right to any Palestinian land. And actually are not Semites. So here's the thing. When they accuse you of being anti-Semitic, they're not Semites. They're just playing a game. They're Khazarians. Okay? They don't belong to the nation of Israel. Never had any connection with the nation of Israel. They got intermarried. They got all mixed up. Here's also what John Hopkins said. While 80% of Palestinians have ancient Hebrew blood. They have the ancestral right to the land. They are the Semites. The Palestinians are the Semites. So if you're against Palestine, which most Christians are, then I guess you're anti-Semitic. Okay? But if you're against Israel, you're not anti-Semitic because they're not Semites. And people, if you really get into this and dig into the Rothschilds and all this history, you're going to find out that these are some of the most evil people on the face of the earth. The people that call themselves Jews. They've committed so many atrocities. They run our banks. Okay? They run the media. They control the world. This is the deep state that people talk about, okay? It's all controlled. It's all controlled. And they're at the top of this thing, okay? Christian Zionists believe that the national Jews deserve by right the land of Palestine as their own. Modern unbelieving Jews have absolutely no theological, no historical, no legal right to that land. They stole it from the people who lived there. Modern-day Judaism is a cult. They're, listen, I told my neighbor who's a Zionist this, and she didn't like it. Israel are Christ-rejecting God-haters. Okay? That's what people who call themselves Jews, they're Christ-rejecting God-haters. And yet Christians want to support them. You go over there as a Christian. They'll spit on you. They'll do, you know, it's It's amazing. You know, if you read some of the Talmud and what it has to say about Christ, it's blasphemous. They hate Christians and what we believe in, but Christians are all about them. We've got to support them. We're just so, so ignorant. Christian Zionism, which is most of churchianity today holds to, is blasphemy. Listen to what 1 John said. Hagee must not have read this. He doesn't understand it. Who is a liar? He who denies that Yeshua is the Christ. Would Jews deny that? Absolutely. This is Antichrist. 
This is not somebody we're supposed to get behind and support and protect and care for. It's Antichrist. Judaism denies the Son and is a cult, and unless the Jews turn to Yeshua in faith, they'll remain under the curse of Yahweh. Believers, we have to understand we owe no allegiance, no support to those who say they're Jews but are not. Revelation 2.9, Revelation 3.9 calls them the synagogue of Satan. Wow, that's pretty strong. That's pretty strong language, right? Those who say they're Jews and are not but are of the synagogue of Satan. Who would say they're Jews but are not? Jews, right? Who else is going to say, I'm a Jew? National Israel, we're Jews. No, you're the synagogue of Satan. That's what the Lord said. I'm going to side with him, okay? So you don't need to get out your flags and start waving the Palestinian flag. You know, I am, I am, for, I am against innocent people being slaughtered, okay? So you got the governments that are getting involved in this war, while the people are going to be the ones who are suffering for it. They're going to get slaughtered. So I'm against killing Palestinian children. I'm against killing Israeli children. Okay? And what's happening in the Middle East today, we have to understand, has nothing to do with biblical prophecy. Nothing at all. But if we go to war, it's going to affect us all. It's going to affect us all. They're trying to take us into World War III. It will affect us. So I'm asking you to pray for the people in Israel. The people. Pray for the people in Gaza. They're victims in all this. But understand, what you're being told is not the truth. Okay? There's no way a bunch of people with homemade paragliders with lawnmower engines flew in there and just slaughtered so many people in Israel. If you know anything about the Israeli state, you know this, <laughs> this doesn't just happen. Okay, it's a 9-11, it's a false flag, they want to go to war. They're doing all they can to get us in war. And already, so many of the rhinos are, yeah, we got to get this, we got to get in there and kill them all. Wipe Gaza out. Israel will love that. Take over the land. But remember, the average age of people living in the Gaza Strip is 17. That should tell you how many children are there. These children are Hamas, okay? They're kids. And so, just don't believe the hype. But understand that what's going on over there is not biblical. There's no prophecy being fulfilled. No one we got to stand with or support other than people who are innocent. We should be people of peace because war doesn't do anything good for, except for the deep state who makes tons of money at it. So, all right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for <clears throat> your great love for us. Lord, I thank you that we have inherited the promises, Lord. What a joy. What, what a privilege to be your people. And yet there's this false notion that these physical people over there in Israel are somehow connected to you when they hate you. They hate your son. Give us a clear understanding, Lord. Help us to stand on the side of peace. Lord, we don't want to see people slaughtered over there, either Israelis or Palestinians. Father, we pray for the Palestinian Christians over there, Lord, that just have to be terrified right now of what's going on. Strengthen them, encourage them. Bless them, Lord, through this time, we pray. Amen. Questions? Comments? David, when I went to seminary, I went to a dispensational seminary. I was taught. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was taught that 
the promises to Israel, national Israel, were unconditional and unilateral. Therefore, the promise of the land and that they will still be his people in some future time stands true because God doesn't break his promises. And see, and I agree with that. But they just don't know who Israel is. That's the whole problem. Right. They are they unconditional. Think that applies then to national Israel. Right, exactly. Not true Israel. They don't understand the distinction. That, yeah. So they're all about Israel. Well, God made a promise. The land is theirs forever. Christ is our land, okay? He's the holy land. He, we inherited him. All this stuff is inherited in Christ. So there's no, you know, there's no this physical people anymore. It never was a physical people. That's what Romans is all about. Romans 9, 10, 11 is all about. God didn't break any promises. Hmm. Read Romans 9. Just read it and you see this standing out, okay? Whoa, we got a lot of comments here. <laughs> Holy <laughs> mackerel. <Yeah. laughs> oh. September 10th, 2001, Donald Rumsfeld announced that the Pentagon could not account for 2.3 trillion oh, yeah. in transactions. Yeah. Yeah, we know that. You know what happened the next day? 9-11. Yay! The following day that was forgotten about forever. Good timing. Yeah, I mean, again, people, like I said, I, I just, I think we have to be thinking, people, when we hear something, we have to think about that. Is that true? How does that fit? Is this really accurate? I understand where it's coming from. You know, one of the ways, just follow the money. Okay, if the people are being paid to say what they're saying, then you got to be careful what side they're on and what they're announcing, whatever else, because it's just like I said, I watched it live and I said, No, uh -uh. this is not real. It goes okay, further than that. The first attack was in '93. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing. If you go back, okay, Pearl Harbor was a false flag. They knew they, our government knew they were coming. Mm -hmm. Why didn't they stop them? Because they wanted to get in the war. Now the people are behind them. After Pearl Harbor, let's go get them. I, I believe you just, our government is governments, period. They're sick and evil. Yeah, not just ours, it's it's worldwide. Gary? I forgot now. <laughs> All right, I'll go on when you think about it. From Norm, he says, amen, David. There is no such thing as a genuine Hebrew today. Not one person claiming to be Jewish has a drop of Abraham's blood. There's no temple. There's no records of genealogy. Uh, <clears throat> to put it bluntly, they are gone. We are not. Again, false flags waving in the sea of ignorance. It's just, I think some people have a hard time. Our government would never do that. They, would, they just would never do that. Man, if you look at 9-11, look what they did. And they still, and I hear news people talking about, oh, the attack. I'm like, are you still buying that story? I mean, are you still buying that story? First of all, go to Pennsylvania where the plane crashed, the one there. There's not a scrap of plane there. Mm -hmm. this, this plane, when it hit in Pennsylvania, the field, it vaporized. These huge, huge motors disappeared. All the suits, all the, the chairs and the people, they just vanished. There's a big hole. People are going, oh, it's horrible. Like, don't this make you think? The Pentagon. Yeah. This plane made this little hole. No wings, no motor, no. I mean, this stuff doesn't just vaporize. I've been in a plane wreck, and when I walked away, there's parts scattered all over. They don't disappear. Okay? Unless 
the government's involved. <laughs> then they can disappear. Gary? Um, the kind of separate, but problem for most modern Christians is that they don't even realize or have never been taught or informed that Jerusalem was destroyed. That well, that's they true. They lived there for the whole time. Mm-hmm. It was never ended. Yeah, that is a problem. That AD 70 is not something that many people know about. Okay, they don't know what happened there, so they don't, you know, they just figure, hey. Well, they said that the Palestinians, 80% of them, you know, have this, I don't know how they know, you know, maybe, maybe back then, you know, some of these Hebrews took some blood samples and stored it up for us for later. I, Again, you, mm-hmm. that's the that's the thing, though, Mike. We got to question everything, okay? It's just impossible yeah. to kind of know if there really are. And you know who writes the the history books? Mm-hmm. The winners, the victors, and so they they write what they want to write, mm-hmm. and you're going to believe what they tell you. And I'm telling you, it's getting to the point now where I don't believe much about history mm-hmm. that I've been taught. I really don't because it's just again, there's so many lies, and you wonder why. What are they trying to do? You know. Whoa. John from California. Amen. Absolutely no prophecy is being fulfilled today. Just the script that the families that control the nations of the world have put in place. They want to fulfill their idea of a satanic uh, utopia and cost of every at the cost of all these lives. Biblical eschatology matters. The fact that the majority of evangelicals still believe in a devil and still future coming of Christ is the reason why the church is not able to effectively combat this false eschatology. Uh, and that's, that is so true. I mean, the, it's just, eschatology does matter. And you're thinking this is in the future. That, I mean, like that preacher I showed, Locke, we got to blow up the mosque so we can bring in the coming of Christ. Hmm. Okay. We gotta do it. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to do it. <laughs> wow, these texts, none of them are short. Uh, good afternoon from Rick and Holly. Hey, Rick. Good to, good to have you with us. Where we live, the predominant view is that if you reject Israel, then you are a boastful, wild olive Gentile branches who are in danger of being ripped out of the natural one. The depth of this belief in the natural versus the wild has such a grip on the minds. They believe the time of the Gentiles will end and natural Israel will then convert to Christianity and accept Jesus. Mm-hmm. How do we begin to break down this belief and get them to see what the Bible actually says? They're terrified that if they get this wrong, they could be one of those who fall away at the end of the world. It has a powerful grip on their psyche. My heart hurts for them. This is true. A lot of these people, they're just ill-informed. But again, I just would encourage people to read their Bible. Read your Bible. Get used to the prophecies against Israel. God, they're His people, but they're messed up, so He's going to judge them. Mm-hmm. Get, I mean, get, get familiar with these parables in the New Testament where the Lord says this. You know, take people to the Bibles and start showing them what the Lord says. All right? And I think if, if people could understand historically what happened in AD 70, God said He's done with them, 
He didn't leave it open to interpretation. He shut it down. No sacrifices, no priesthood, no nothing since. But yet people are still going to you know, temples and, and pretending they're Judaism. And like the heart of Judaism was sacrifice. How do you get away with not having any of this? I mean, they still do the feast days. But they don't represent the feast days because major part of that was sacrifice. How do they do that? Seventy bulls. They're, they're sacrificing none. But they say they're Judah. They're Jew. They're not biblical Judaism. And that's what we have to understand, people. It's just not what the Bible teaches. They're gone. But so many people have this belief that, that there's still Jews out there. Okay? Absolutely. Again, that's because the Kazarian Mafia owns the media. They tell us, and like you said earlier, the CIA, a lot of the people, um, what's that guy with the short gray hair, uh, what's his name? No, come on. <laughs> Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper was CIA. Trained CIA. They put these CIA ops in the media to control mind control. It's called Operation Mockingbird. We'll teach the people. And we sit there in front of the television and we just stare, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I haven't watched since the last election, I have not watched news because they're liars. What's the point? Kathy gets so frustrated. I mean, she reads an article for me. Listen to this article. I'm like, bull. They're making that crap up. Unless I know, I'm a skeptic, okay? And that's fine. I'll be a skeptic because what, I mean, the vaccine, it's 100% safe. It definitely fixes you. It was all lies. An official today, last week came out and said, I apologize to those who did not get vaccinated because we pressured you. We were wrong the whole time. They're starting to come out and admit it now, okay? They lie, they lie, they lie. So if they want you to do something, if they're offering you, you get a hamburger and fries if you come get a vaccination. No thanks. No thanks. <sighs> you know, if they got to push it that hard, you know something is wrong. Okay. I'm still giving folks, I think it's either two or two and a half days administrative leave You know, if anybody's still involved in this, you wonder what planet they've been living on. You know how many people are dying? Every day I see young people, 20 years old, young athletes, 17 years old, dying of a heart attack. And it's like, oh, that's just normal. No, it's not, people. It's not normal at all. Uh, Junior from Canada, great message, Pastor, wonderfully put together. Can you please write a short book on the specific message to help us with the sheeple? It's so relevant today. Yes, I post the transcripts online. That's my book, okay? That's my book on that message. People always want to write a book. I told you, I'm not old enough to write yet. i got to figure out what I believe first, okay? And if I ever figure it out, maybe I'll write. Excellent message, very informative. This should be required listening in every church. Say, oh, I would love to do that. How can we do that? <laughs> How can we make this required, you know? Well, here's the interesting thing. There is, a, there is a school in the Philippines that uses my material, and you have to sit and watch the material and pass the course, you know. So I'm like, it blows my mind because they send me pictures of the, you know, here's the class, and they got me on the screen up front preaching eschatology, and I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> 
But, you know, most of the churches, like I, I showed you that guy, I mean, I mean, they're all dressed in Israel garb and flying flags. And yes, yes, we're all about Israel. If they had a clue what Israel really was about and wanting to do. David. If Israel is so uh, blatantly anti-Christ, why isn't it obvious to all these Christians? Because they're all. Because I don't think they even know what Israel. They just know the Bible says, you know, he that touches Israel touches the apple of God. So we got to be on Israel's side. They don't know what's going on over there. Yeah. They don't read. They don't study. They're not aware of what people over there believe. How they treat Christians. Sheep. They use their arguments against us. Christians are good. You know, good. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing about Israel, they are very pro-abortion. Mm-hmm. Very pro-abortion. So, I, you know, they're all crying, oh, these head, they beheaded these children. I'm like, don't you do that all the time? Right. You know? But I don't think it happened, but Stan? Uh, what do you think it means by saving Israel for last? <laughs> about what? <laughs> He's talking geopolitically here, right? <laughs> The, the patriot movement that are saving Israel for last. Israel's a deep state, okay? Mm-hmm. Just like uh, Ukraine is a deep state hub, Taiwan is a deep state hub, and so is Israel. And so they're trying to wipe out the deep state in these areas so they can get things under control. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. I know what they tell me. I don't, again, I, you just, you're subject to what people say. I would have loved so badly to get over to Israel this week and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I could say, I could see what's happening. But, you know, I know this for sure. There were civilian flights going in and out, because there's a flight tracker. Okay, you can watch where these flights are going. In and out of Israel all week long. And I thought, they're in war and this, these flights are just coming in and landing? Don't bomb us. We're just here private citizens. <laughs> none of this adds up. Okay, none of it makes sense. Trevor from Georgia, how close do you think dispensational Zionists will take us toward World War III? As far as they can. They're pushing it. Our politicians are like, we've got to get in the... Why would anybody want to be so happy starting a war? I don't get it. War is terrible. It's it's. Yeah, well that's it. They're going to bring it in themselves. Uh, this is from Gary and Chris and PA. Good morning. Thank you for your sincerity to our great God. Excellent, Dave. I'm seeing that all my studying, researching, and praying has not been in vain. Because just about everything you have said, I have been saying to my brothers and sisters and friends, the future of Zionist disease is absolutely harmful and sad. The sad thing is, many of our politicians buy into the Zionist thing. we got to stand by Israel. Yeah. Palestine doesn't equal Hamas. Right. You ask the average Christian, and there's no difference. Right. And that's why Christians are like, you know, if you say you're for Palestinians, and they're like, you're a terrorist supporter. Right. Palestinians are not all terrorists. Are the moral fabric of this country. So if you can control their minds, you can control the decisions that are made for for military operations. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're doing. You know, like I said, the Republicans are beating the drums now. Let's get to war. Let's get to war. We're over. You know, we got to tear them up. And it just grieves my heart because I think of all these children. You know, they're being bombed now. They're being starved. And, you know, you're a parent over there and you have these kids and you're just, you're stuck in a prison. You can't leave. And they're just raining they're, down. There's videos you. of 
what the Palestinians have to go through, the gate guards and all that yeah. stuff to enter into Israel, that it go to work every day. Right. That show you know, the type of oppression that they're under. And, you know, and I've heard, and I don't know this is true because I, you know, but I heard from a firsthand source that he says the Israelis, they'll go into Palestine and spray garbage on their house, spray sewage on their house, dump garbage, just to torment them. They want them out of there. Wow. They want them out of there. Uh, I don't know who this is from. They say dispensational preachers have a heyday, probably going to sell rapture tickets. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Greetings from a faithful listener in the socialist state of Washington. Hey, Bill, good to have you listening with us. Uh, Bonnie. Bonnie says, amen. Thank you. You're welcome, Bonnie. Appreciate you watching. Um, Shelly uh, Carlin says, this was a fantastic discussion. Thank you. I'm about to start a firestorm on Facebook. <laughs> but what's new? Looking forward to dropping the link to this on them. Uh, they've changed their Ukrainian flags to Israel flags. I know. Isn't that crazy? They I saw a, kind of a sitcom thing for the, a comedian, and he was just tormented because he didn't know on social media, should I post the Israel flag or should I post the, you know, the Palestinian flag? And he's like, which one will get me the best? You know, and, and I'm thinking, this is so ridiculous. You know, but that's what people are. Should I put my Israeli flag up there? You know, people said, I stand with Israel. Well, you better know who you're standing with. John Maloney, Pastor David, Christ being the fulfillment of the land promises beautiful spiritual truth indeed. When Christ placed His blood on the mercy seat in heaven, He was declared King, Lord of heaven, and every inch of earth as well, and included the little strip of land known as Palestine and Israel. Could that also be understood as a fulfillment of the land promise? Absolutely, that's a fulfillment of the land promise. Christ fulfills all the promises. All promises are amen in Him, okay? He fulfills them all, so there's no doubt. You know that Israel is the size of New Jersey. That's all the landmass it takes up. But like I said, they got one of the best armies, one of the most technically advanced. That's a walled place, and to think these people just got in their things and flew over there, no one even knew they were coming. You know. They knew they were going to receive for it. Roger Nicole said, "Can you give light on books and more about him?" No, I can't. I don't know who he is. Sorry. Roger Nicole. What's a good book for an intro to preterism? Um, there's a couple of good books. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Glenn, uh, <clears throat> Glenn Hill's book. What's it called? Christianity's Great Dilemma. There's the book, uh, the second coming, the one we just talked about um, that is reprinted and is out now again. What is the name of that? I can't even think of the name. But yeah, there's several good books. Uh, the Ruse book is, is a good book. What is the name of theirs? Why We're Still Waiting by Pete and Rachel Rue. You can find those on Amazon. So Gary Meyer's book's good. Yeah. Which one? Uh, He's got 35 of them. <laughs> last Day's Madness, I thought. Was oh, yeah, so Last Day's Madness is a good book. If you go on that, I think it's Ethereal Christian. I forget the link now, but they actually have a 20-some PDF version of books. From people from like early 1900s. Oh, really? They were writing about fulfilled eschatology. Yeah, there's a lot of information out there, there okay? Someone says there is much prophecy being fulfilled in Ohio. Our roads are full <laughs> of cracks. 
No, no. The cracks have to be. The cracks have to be on the mount. Okay. This is Glenn's book, uh, Christianity's Great Dilemma. You can order this online. You can order this directly from Glenn. Good book there. Uh, someone says, don't forget to mention Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and curses of Israel. Tom, that's so true. I mean, if, if you're familiar with Deuteronomy 28, you got 15 verses of God said, I will do this. I will bless you if you obey me. I will bless. And 15 verses of blessing. Then about 45 verses of you don't. And he just goes through the judgments. And you see this fulfilled in 87. I mean, that's the thing. God said, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't, I will judge you. And yet... They're Christ-rejecting God-haters, but the Christians are want to stand beside them. And, uh, someone, I don't know who this is from, they say, well, I will not bless what Yahweh has cursed. Amen. Amen. This is my biggest problem with Christians who adhere to Zionism is they obviously don't believe Yeshua's proclamation on the cross that it is finished. Well, that's true also. <laughs> Shelly. Oh. Uh, my husband and I are glad we have found you on Rumble. We left a brick-and-mortar church in our area in 2014. Every church that is local to us has been infiltrated with false doctrine, new apostolic reformation. We're in Texas, but we'll be watching past sermons and future ones. Pastors who teach verse-by-verse verse as well as talk about Zionism are pastors who teach verse-by-verse verse as well as talk about Zionism are lacking. Thank you for speaking the truth, no matter what the backlash. Yeah, I never have worried too much about backlash. Maybe I should. I don't know. I'm not, not smart enough, I guess. Yeah, Stan? Uh, you know, thinking about, you know, if they ever did get to build the temple, which is not going to happen, Christ's sacrifice would be for nothing. Well, this is what bothered me. When I was a dispensationalist, in the millennium, we're going to go back to offering sacrifices. And I'm like, well, the book of Hebrews kind of puts an end to that. But we're, Christ is here, and then we're going to go back to the picture when we have the reality. You know, when I was at sea, I had pictures of my wife all over the top of my bunk. You know, looking at her. When I got home, didn't have those pictures anymore pasted all over. I'd be dumb. I had her. <laughs> Why do I need these pictures? You know? It's crazy. But they want to go back to the picture. We're going to sacrifice. Christ is here. No. The millennium is so misunderstood about all this. Gary? Um, sad thing I see is the people who want to rebuild the temple and raise the red heifers and all have their faith is in their works. God needs their help. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I think they're, well, like that preacher I just showed, you know, we're going to blow up the mosque so we can bring in the second coming. We, we got to do it, you know. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this, this message goes, it stays on YouTube. And that's why I, I encourage people, move to Rumble. Okay, move to Rumble. Rumble's a safe platform. Rumble is not going to discriminate. They're not going to take you down because you say something they don't like. And let me put another word for Gab, too. Social media, Gab. You know, you can say on Gab whatever you want to say because they're, they're 
They're not going to screen you. They're not going to scrutinize what you say because it's a free platform. And Andrew Torba, who's you know invented that thing and runs that thing, is a Christian. And he's just like, we're not going to censor people. And they've had governments call them and say, don't put this... St-. And they said, pound sand, you ain't telling us what to do. Because, you know, it's, a, it's truly, I think, the only free platform out there right now is Gab. Rumble's in the same line. They're, they're putting stuff up. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing. You make the decision. If you don't like what someone's saying, don't listen to them. Shut them off. You know, reject them as a friend or whatever. You don't need a government doing that. What the government right now is trying to get more involved and tell social media, you can't put this stuff up there. Because, see, we're so, we have so much information right now. You know, they're posting these pictures of the war and showing these violent scenes. And then someone come up and said, these, these pictures are from two years ago. Because you can do that, right? You can find out, you show the picture, boom, and you can trace it. It'll tell where it came from, when it, you know. And so they can't get away with anymore what they've been getting away with. Thank God, okay? We're making progress. We don't need to be fooled anymore. Um, it's 1 o'clock. I don't know how it got to be that late, but let's, uh, I had fun. Thanks, thanks for writing in your questions. Thanks for being involved in this. We need to talk to people about this, though. We need to let them know the truth so we can set them free. From the bondage of, you know, how many people are, are fearful right now because this means we're going to war. This means the second coming is happening. This means the tribulation. See, if you're not a pre-trib person, pre-trib rapture, then you got to go through the tribulation. And so they're scared to death. Let's pray. We're, we're not going to sing. We're going to just quit right now because... <laughs> Father, thank you for your grace to us, Lord. I pray you'd make us ambassadors, Lord, for your sake, that we'd be telling people, we'd be sharing people the truth of Scripture, that people don't have to live in fear. They can trust you. You are in charge. You are in control. Lord, I rejoice in the fact of your sovereign control of all events. Help us to trust you, Lord, in everything. We love you, Lord. Amen. Have a great week, people. We will see you next week.